I'm Melissa. I'm Jam. And I'm a chemist. And I'm not. And welcome to Chemistry for Your Life. The podcast will help you understand the chemistry of your everyday life. Bonus edition. I was hoping you wouldn't remember rats. You can do it if you want to. Bonus edition <laughs> times two. That's right. I'm so excited. We have lots of good questions from two of our staple question askers, Anthony and Steven, yes. this week. Awesome. Should we just get into it? Let's get into it. Let's do it. Okay. First question from Anthony C. is in regards to the breathalyzer episode. Mm-hmm. So he said, I don't think you ever said explicitly, but does gaining an oxygen make it lose an electron? Okay. So I think what Anthony's talking about here is when I talked about oxidation being increasing number of bonds to carbon, but the traditional definition is oxidation is losing electrons. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Oxidation is losing, reduction is gaining electrons. Mm -hmm. So he asked, you know, does that still happen? Are you still losing the electrons? And technically, no, you're not losing them fully, Uh but oxygens have really strong electronegativity, which means they're good at pulling the electrons towards themselves. Mm -hmm. So if two atoms are trying to share electrons, oxygen does not share evenly. One mm-hmm. person each gets one electron. It's more like oxygen takes all the electrons for itself and leaves a little bit of a positive behind. Okay. So the answer is sort of loses an electron. It loses electron density. Mm, okay. Interesting. Okay. So that's my answer to that. Anthony's next question is what is in the plain corn syrup that isn't high fructose? So I looked this up, I just Googled quickly, and it seems like caro corn syrup that they sell on shelves is sometimes also called glucose corn, glucose syrup because it's made almost entirely of glucose. Mm, interesting. So I think that would mean it would be less bad for your body because mm-hmm. it's not the kind that processes in your liver. Mm-hmm. But my friend Amber said to me recently after listening to this episode, bring back the fiber. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I still think that glucose needs to be mixed in with fiber. Uh I also, he asked about, and I don't know a ton about this, but I do know that glucose content has something to do with glycemic index, which is about how much it raises or lowers your blood sugar, but I don't know a ton about it. Okay. Interesting. Our next question from inquisitive listener, Stephen H is, is the initial 42%, 58% split of high fructose corn syrup, the like fructose and the glucose content, right, whatever, right, right. actually healthier than table sugar? So I think healthy is a bold word, but I do think higher glucose content is going to have less negative effects on your body, all things equal. Mm, okay. But I still think the main idea is to reduce your glucose sugar intake of any kind and increase your fiber intake Mm, Okay, along with it. So that's a good question. And yeah, I think so. I do think the original split is going to have less negative impacts, but healthier is a bold, a bold word. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. This is fun. I really enjoyed all these sugar questions. Yeah. He has another one that his next question is also about that. How does the balance of fructose and glucose affect the taste? So there is a sweetness index Uh that, identifies how sweet different things taste to us. And sucrose is one. It's okay. it's given a value of one. 
glucose is a little below and fructose is a little above. So mm-hmm. I don't know how it impacts the taste, but it definitely would impact the sweetness. Okay. And I don't remember if I talked about this in the episode, but I even learned that theoretically you could use less high fructose corn syrup. So you're taking in less sugar Mm -hmm. to get the same amount of sweetness, but they didn't really do that. Instead, they just made things sweeter and sweeter. Mm. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So that's kind of a bummer. But theoretically, you could use less of the high fructose corn syrup to get a similar sweetness. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And that means that I think that caro corn syrup would taste less sweet a little bit than table sugar. Right, right. Okay, guess who asked our next question? Stephen H. Yep, Stephen H. Again. Here's the thing. Stephen H. asks questions that are really good for a Q&R. They're about the questions we or topics we've already talked about. They're ones I usually can answer pretty quickly. Uh-huh. So they just lend themselves well. Yeah. So thanks, Stephen, for your questions. Yeah. A lot of other people ask questions that are much better for episode length. Yeah. Which even the BPA question, that, you know, that came out right. of a listener question. So Totally. So this is more switching gears to about candles. What effects does wick length have on the candle's combustion reaction? What's the purpose of trimming the wick? In quotes. Okay, I just quickly Googled this because I didn't know the answer to that. And the Google search came back with it helps control the amount of fuel. Mm -hmm. And that makes sense because it does determine how much of the liquid is getting sucked up into the wick before it's vaporized. So if you had more wick, you'd have more room Mm -hmm. for that to happen. So I think controlling the amount of fuel then would minimize the amount of soot and then also could make the candle burn more evenly. Mm -hmm. So that makes sense. But also I've never trimmed a wick and I've also never had a problem. Sometimes I'll knock off those carbonized edges. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I don't think I've ever done that either. I also didn't know anything about candles until we talked about it. I didn't know any about the chemistry, yeah. but I just let it be and never really mess with it. Yeah. You know, I do think if enough of the wax got vaporized in those candles that kind of are almost like bowl shaped mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or that kind of come in close at the top, that could be a problem. Mm-hmm. But I don't, I don't know for sure if the wick would impact that. Yeah. I just could imagine vapor building up on top of the, I have one that's kind of dome shaped. Uh-huh. It's the volcano candle that's really good. Uh-huh. But it kind of has a wider base and a smaller opening. And I could see some vapor building up there. Maybe. Interesting. I don't know. Yeah. Then his next question goes back to the uh, airbag episode. Does elevation affect airbag inflation significantly? Are they potentially more or less effective in the mountains versus at sea level? This is a great question, and I couldn't find any information about it. Uh I would think this is a great question, Stephen. I was so excited because air pressure impacts the volume a gas takes up. Mm -hmm. If you have less air pressure, it's going to take up more volume. If you have higher air pressure, it would take up less volume. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I would think that would impact it. Mm Mm-hmm. But I couldn't find any information. So my best guess is the really smart people who figured out how to get it to inflate and deflate in just a matter of seconds. Mm -hmm. Also likely figured out how to have some computers or sensors detect the atmospheric pressure and account for that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because even on hotter versus colder days, I think that would impact the air volume. Yeah. So that's my guess. Hmm. 
Yeah, that's interesting. But that's a great question. Yeah, seriously. I mean, it certainly would be one of the things we probably would find out quickly. Yeah. Because, you know, if they'd put out airbags and then people in the mountains were having like way higher rates of, yes. I don't know. So anyway, I think that seems like something that they would have had to think about. <laughs> yeah, it does but, seem like that. Yeah. But I couldn't find any information on it. So I don't know if they just, if people haven't even thought to ask that question or what. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. This next question is from Sam. Burning plastics are very stinky. <laughs> Why? <laughs> this is not our Sam. It's a different Sam. Yeah. I just love how it's worded. This is a hilarious question, Sam. If I had to guess, I think it's when we burn plastics. That's usually when it goes past the melting phase and it starts to degrade. So I think there's some combustion reaction going on, but I don't think it's a full combustion reaction Mm -hmm. because there's other things besides just carbon in there. So my guess was the organic molecules within the plastic start to break down, but they're leaving behind some organic byproducts that just are bad smelling Mm -hmm. to us. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And there's so much in plastic, you know, you could have so many different functional groups, so many different of the monomers that make up the polymers that I think it could just have a really, there could just be so many things going on in terms of byproducts. Yeah. But that's my guess. I couldn't find any resources. Chemistry off the cuff. Yeah. Chemistry off the cuff. Our other podcast. That's what our friend Miriam suggested. We start calling it whenever I just make, make guesses. Uh-huh. <laughs> Educated guesses. Yeah. Yeah. So this next question, I guess, is more of a bit of information. Uh-huh. And this was an email that I got in my personal email from a colleague of mine. She's a, was a professor at UNT and she mm-hmm. ran the chemistry education program that I'm in now before she retired. Mm. So she's someone I know personally and professionally, you know, in real life. Yeah. Cool. So she sent me an email and just to summarize the first part of her story, she said that historically in the United States, there are things like gasoline that were continued in use, even though we knew it was bad mm-hmm. because the technology was patented and they were still making money. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So about BPA, this is Dr. Mason's exact words. So she said, I didn't know, I don't know about BPA specifically, but I bet you that if you looked up the patent, when it runs out, BPA will be removed and replaced with the next best polymer and we will ban its use like the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. That was interesting. And she also said some of the plant materials that can be made into really hard substances that degrade quickly and can be consumed by animals look really promising, which we definitely talked about that on our new plastics episode. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. Very interesting. And this next question is a fun one from Renee C. And I just want to shout out Renee C because anytime I post on Instagram that we're doing a Q&A, she floods our inbox with more <laughs> personal life questions to round out each episode. Nice. Nice. That's great. So this question, oh, this is tough. What's your favorite part of married life? My favorite part of married life is that I get to live with my spouse Uh and it's just really nice. It would be so hard if you were like, you know, hanging out and at the end of the night, you just had to go your separate ways. Yeah. Especially once we got engaged. Yeah. That it was just, I just want to live with you already. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. 
And so I think that's been really nice, but it also is nice to just have a teammate, a partner to mm-hmm. do things with and tackle every, every hard problem that comes up. You have someone that's on your side and on your team. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. I think for me, this is sort of like not one part, so I'm kind of cheating, but I, I think for me, I've come to believe that it's really good for us as people to have people in our lives um, that are very close to us. And obviously that can be a spouse. It can also Mm -hmm. be a really close friend. Yeah. But that we have to stick it out with for a long time. Yeah. And I think one of my favorite parts of having been married is I think I'm actually a better person. And I think I've been forced to have to grow and change and also be more selfless. Yeah. In ways that, you know, sound cool before you get married. It sound really romantic and stuff. Yeah. But when you're actually in it, it's obviously like not always that way at all. Yeah. It's like sometimes I'm really having to put aside something that I feel very strongly about or feel like yes. I've got great reasons to argue this or whatever and just have to realize that I got to put somebody else before me. Yeah. And that's so hard. Obviously, that's not any of our nature. Like, yes. that's so counter. So I think for me, I've... I've been married just long enough to feel like, okay, I definitely am a better person than I would <laughs> otherwise be. Well, so. I will say too, though, I think you can also grow in singleness. So I think this yeah. is a good question, but I was a single person into being 30, yeah, which not a lot of people, you know, our generation 30s, I guess, knew. Yeah. Some people are getting married there, but a lot of people we know got married before that. I was one of my last friends to get married. Yeah. And there's a lot of ways to grow in that time too. They're just different. Like they're both good ways that you can grow in both of those times of your life. And they're both really beautiful and unique and special. Like I definitely got some experiences not being married into my thirties that other people who were married at that point maybe didn't get to have. So don't feel like you're in a, you got to be in a rush to get married so you can grow. Oh, totally. That's why I'm going to preface my question with my answer with that. Yes. That yes. Yes. Being close with somebody. I don't think you can, my hypothesis, I don't think you can really do that alone though. Like if yes. you were just, they didn't have close friends, didn't have people that yeah. made you have to kind of like yeah. be more selfless and, and I think we learn from each other really well. So I think that's, I definitely think that's true. That's why, um, but I do want to do want to preface my answer with that. This has been my experience, but I think it can, yeah. I think you can achieve it a different way. I, re- I remember this so clearly in third or fourth grade, somebody had a poster up that said, it's easy to stay calm when nobody ruffles your feathers. And it's just <laughs> a swan floating. Uh-huh. It's something along those lines. And I thought, gosh, that is so true. It is really easy to seem like you don't hurt anyone's feelings and you don't do mean stuff and you're never selfish or thoughtless whenever it's just you. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. I just always think about that for some, for some reason. Yeah. (laughs) Just stuck in my brain. Yeah. So that was a good question, Renee. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. So thanks everybody to your questions. Each time we do a Q and R, I love them so much. I'd get a lot of episode ideas. I think the high fructose corn syrup came from a call for Q and R episodes. Uh-huh, uh-huh. We've had a lot of really good questions come out of those. So thank you guys always for responding. We love them. We read all of your comments and emails and stuff and they make us really happy. Yes, definitely. One that made me especially happy was one of our Ko-Fi donors 
which we'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute, but mm-hmm. one of our COVID donors commented on the donation. It made me so happy. They said, great show. Listening from the Netherlands, your voices and accents are also really pleasant to hear. Mm. Fun to listen to during gardening, but also great before falling asleep because the show's not so wild with shouting and lots of sounds like most American podcasts <laughs> <laughs> that I thought was hilarious. Yeah, that's That great. we were applauded for our not shouting and lots of sounds, but also imagining someone listening to us while gardening was just really a delightful image. (laughs) And it's funny to think of our accents being something that people like at all because I, I, you know, it's normal for us. The American accent is what we hear most of the time. Yeah. And I appreciate other accents more than ours. Right. Almost always. Right. I just think it's it. It's more interesting. It's so beautiful. And so it's funny to think of somebody Thinking that uh, that about an American accent that ours are pleasant, yeah. yeah to me, ours, my, my our, I thought I was thinking of ours as sounding so just like neutral to negative, neutral or yeah, or negative or just not no musicality to it. Yeah, I just kind of that's how I I think of it, and that's kind of a bias against it. But anyway, that's cool to hear. So Rimka, that made me really happy. It I laughed a lot and took a picture of it and sent it to some friends to also enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> And then we also want to shout out a couple other uh, Ko-Fi people who've supported us this month um, on our Ko-Fi. And that is Jacob T, Hunter R, Julianne, Christina G, Chelsea B, Stephen B, Timothy P, and Harry T. Thank you guys so much for supporting us, for giving a little bit and helping cover the costs of making our show. And that means so much to us. It helps us keep it going. And we are just so thankful for our support, both you guys listening who are just out there supporting us. And then also you guys who go to our Ko-Fi and and give a little bit. That means so much to us. It really does. It helps us keep going on the show. There have been times we didn't know exactly how we're going to make the ends meet. And now the show is at least supporting itself, which is really exciting. Mm -hmm. And it's all because of you guys and giving and supporting us. And we can think through this being a more long-term career possibly for both of us. So that is very exciting. Yes, definitely. This episode of Chemistry for Your Life was created by Melissa Collini and Jam Robinson. And we'd like to give a special thanks to E. Robinson who reviewed this episode.